Let's take our Bibles. We'll turn to a passage we've been working on for a while now, and that's 1 Corinthians 15. We've been studying the gospel, how it's the good news specifically about Jesus Christ, specifically about four events in his life, his death, burial, resurrection, and appearances, according to 1 Corinthians 15. And we can boil those four down into two, because the burial is a witness to his death, his appearances are a witness to his resurrection. So the key events are Christ's death and his burial. We find that just replete throughout the rest of Scripture, that he died, references to that, references to him being alive, to him being resurrected. We've been focusing on his death in 1 Corinthians 15. And last time we got together, we talked about how death is the penalty for sin. Death is the penalty for sin. And the big problem with that is uh, how is it that Jesus could die when he never sinned? How can someone die if he never sinned? And we need to consider that as we uh, as we go through this text uh, again. We're going to do the second point on the death of Christ from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. It says this. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 says... For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. So my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, let's consider substitution. Substitution. Let's pray. Father, as we go into this study, I pray that you'll give us thoughtfulness of what you did and uh, what it meant for us very specifically and how this is particularly good news for us. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I've told you about the fact that I grew up playing hockey, and I have grew up, grown up and continue to officiate hockey since I was very young. And given that I referee hockey, that means that I've read the rule book through many, many times, and I have tried to apply the rules to the game, both in youth hockey, college hockey, and sometimes that gets complicated when infractions get more serious. And that's the case when you have to call a penalty for an infraction that requires a minimum of a 2 and a 10. 2 and a 10, that's referee lingo, for a minor penalty and a misconduct. In a situation where you have a 2 and a 10, a player has to sit in the penalty box for 12 minutes, which is about a quarter of the game, which is a lot of time. You say, that doesn't sound very enjoyable. Well, it's not. But what's even perhaps... Less enjoyable than that is the fact that his teammate, who didn't do anything wrong, has to sit in the box for the two-minute minor. And you say, well, why is that? Well, it's a, simply a logistical matter that the team has to return to full strength after the minor, minor penalty is over. So a teammate who's done nothing wrong has to serve the penalty of his friend who got a big penalty. And that person, according to the rule book, is called a substitute. And substitution is the answer to the dilemma that we face in 1 Corinthians 15, the fact that Jesus died. He shouldn't have died because he was righteous, but he still died. The answer to that issue is substitution. So I'm going to do two things today, Lord willing. I'm going to establish the dilemma, the dilemma being that Christ did die, and then see our humbling reality that follows from that. The first point I want to establish is that Christ was without sin. Jesus never sinned. He was not born in sin. 
The psalmist was. The psalmist said that from the very beginning of his existence, he had been in a sinful state. So you remember Psalm 51 verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So David, just like the rest of mankind, is born in the state or the condition of sin. And that is obviously going to lead to acts of sin in the lifetime. But Jesus wasn't. In response to what the angel said to Mary, remember the angel told Mary that she would conceive a child, and she asked, how could that be, given she was a virgin? And the angel explained, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, the child that will be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So it's through the unique work of the Holy Spirit. It says that the Holy Spirit overshadows. And it's that overshadowing that protected Jesus from the sin nature that he would have got from Mary, his mother, who was a sinner. So his conception was something very unique so that he could be called holy. He was the divine son. Even though he was born of the virgin, he was completely God, completely man. And that was by the work of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus had no original sin. The rest of man does. Furthermore, Jesus didn't sin in his life. And that's another outrageous statement because to be a man is to sin. 1 Kings 8 says, There is no one who does not sin. Ezekiel or Ecclesiastes 7, Surely there's not a righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. 1 John 1 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. So mankind sins. However, Jesus asserted he was sinless. He even invited people to, to find something wrong with him. He said it in John 8. Which one of you convicts me of sin? And no one could find a charge. But there were people that found him faultless. They couldn't establish any charges. That was the case when Jesus was tried before the chief priests and the whole council in Matthew 26. They gave testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. Even though they brought forth many false witnesses. So instead of finding fault with him, they continually find no fault. Pilate doesn't find any fault in him. John 19, see, I, am, I bring him out to you that you may know that I find no fault with him. The robber on the cross who was crucified next to Jesus said to him, this man has done nothing wrong. And then after Jesus' life, the summary of his life was that he never sinned. The apostle Paul said, 2 Corinthians 5, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that he might, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The Apostle John also added his voice, 1 John 3, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. The Apostle Peter said it, 1 Peter 2.22, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. The author of Hebrews, Hebrews 4, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So there's the dilemma. Clearly, Jesus never sinned, but he died, and death is the penalty for sin. So how is it that Jesus could have died? And the answer is we see in 1 Corinthians 15.3, where it says, Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. So he died as a substitute. He died in our place. Our place was to die for our sins. We were condemned to die because we were under the just wrath of God. Ephesians 2 says that we were children of wrath. Let me read another passage which is key on this point. And I just want you to listen 
for who did Christ die for? Think of the kinds of people that Romans 5 says he died for. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps even for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God chose his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we were supposed to face the music because of what we had done. We'd been lawless. We were destined to die. We were destined to stand before Jesus Christ, the righteous judge who would judge whether or not we had perfectly loved God with all of our heart, soul, and mind from the very beginning to the very end. And before him, we would have been sentenced to eternal punishment. But Jesus died for our sins. He died for our benefit so that we wouldn't have to die for our sins. He took our punishment that we deserved. He took that on himself. And since he paid for the penalty for our sins, we're no longer condemned to die. And we think of the gospel. The gospel is about Jesus Christ. It's about his death, burial, resurrection, appearances. It's about his death and his resurrection. You say it doesn't sound like the gospel is much about us. Well, it is about us to one little notion that Christ died for our sins. What we bring to the gospel is the sin aspect. That's our only part in the gospel, that Christ had to die for our sin. And that's what makes the gospel near and dear. Instead of something that's far off, of no no real concern to us, the gospel is of great importance to us because Christ died for us in our place for our benefit. John Newton, who you know wrote Amazing Grace, he also wrote, He died for me. In that song, we say, Oh, can it be upon the tree the Savior died for me? My soul is thrilled, my heart is filled to think he died for me. You know, it's it's not much to have to go sit in the penalty box for your friend who did something stupid and had got a penalty and you have to sit for two minutes while your team's shorthanded. That's not too hard, two minutes. But what we see in Christ and what he did for us, that's real substitution. To take on himself, our sin, to pay the penalty for our sin. And what that shows us is God has wrought a great work in our hearts. That we look at Jesus Christ and we think, he died for me. He is good. And we thank him for that. And that our disposition towards him is changed. That just shows God's work in our hearts. And that's what we can thank him for. Father, I ask that you will help us to think about each day what Christ did for our, us. Uh, this Christian faith is, is not about us commending ourselves to you, but instead it is about relying on the kindness and goodness of Christ to die for our sins. We ask, Lord, that you will help us to be mindful of that, to rejoice in that, and to thank you for uh, the work of grace you've done in us and that you would do in others if we would tell them of you. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.